Good morning. Welcome to the daily edition of the Jack and Reno podcast, where I call Jack at 4.30 in the morning, and we talk about whatever's on our mind. Helps us wake up and motivate us for the day, and we hope it does the same for you. Enjoy. Good morning, Reno. Good morning, dude. How's it going? Oh, you know, just still trying to figure out how to go to bed on time to get up this early. <laughs> Dude, that is the eternal struggle. I can't, I can't get, I can't go to sleep before 10 because I, my alarm thing it reminds me, it goes, Hey, you know, go to bed and it hits 8 30. And I'm just like, eh. I'm just like, yeah, I'll just go up two more hours. Like, I just want to read. Like literally just things are going all day. And then I'm like, oh, I just want, I really want to read my book. I've been reading 1984, by the way. 1984? Yeah. George Orwell. Uh, it sounded like you said 94. I was like, is this, what is this 94 book? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 18, yeah. It's, uh, yeah, 1994. It's uh, the sequel to 1984. Oh, gotcha. <laughs> yeah. Where the utopia uh, works out. Yeah, exactly. And <laughs> it's, uh, communism is great. Um, and they all, everyone's happy with it. There's one world government. And uh, yeah, and everybody's really excited about it. Dude, yeah, so tell me, I have not read 1984. Dude, it's, it's pretty good. I'm only 30 pages in, so I'm only a brief touch. But, man, he gets he gets right into it. Like, I feel like I'm kind of understanding his writing because it, it really feels – obviously, he put a lot of work into it. But, it, it, honestly, it just really feels like – I could almost just sense him just – writing it out and figuring it out in his brain, the story that he wanted to build as he was writing it. Like, it feels like the way he's describing things, but he gets right into it, dude. He's like, so you have this guy, Wilson hates his life. There's the, uh, there's a, basically a government, like sort of a dictatorship. Um, but the whole concept is that basically they, they, uh, they keep you in line. Um, you, you were, uh, the citizens report on each other for any uh, thought crimes, which is one of the most popular things like people hear about the book. Um, I can hear you moving plates around, by the way. Uh, it's, I'm cool with it, but uh, uh, see, audio, I, I absolutely it. need to clean. Uh, Madison came over for dinner last night, but oh, nice. I don't know if it's just yeah, whatever. But um, I, I, my kitchen needs to be cleaned, and I'm not. I have to clean this morning, so I don't know. How, I can't. Okay. I don't know if you can push mute on this thing. Um, I don't think you can, but honestly, let's just roll with it. It's, it's all right. I'll do my best. Sounds good. But, uh, but yeah, they have thought police and basically you just report on your neighbor. If you even hear them saying something that is against the party, against like the party lines or whatever. And, uh, and so, so, so far it's really interesting. It's pretty, honestly, a lot of people, I think. This, I don't know. I feel like I've heard people say like, "Oh, it's nineteen, you know, nineteen eighty four. It's like, oh, we're always getting, we're so close to doing this, or whatever." Nineteen eighty four is pretty far from anything I've heard of, with the exception of maybe Stalin's Soviet Union. That that may be the closest comparison, but even that was still. All right, Rena, you're thirty pages in there. I know, I know, but I'm just saying. I don't know if you got the whole grasp of the book in thirty no, pages. Certainly not. 
certainly not. <laughs> but it's he's he's setting it up. This, how bad it is. He's really setting it up. I'm sure he'll go into like how it got there and stuff. But it's pretty good. It's pretty good so far. But uh, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I think the dystopian uh, genre is especially relevant as of late. Um, one short story I really like. It's called uh, Harrison Bergeron. Mm-hmm. Have you heard that one? No, I haven't. Okay, I highly recommend the read. It'll probably take you five or ten minutes. Um, it's pretty simple. But, you know, the first line is, the first line of the book is, um, the year is, it's like the year is 2,120, and we finally did it. Um, everybody in the world is equal. Nobody's better than anybody else in any way. There's something like that. And it's just this world where, yeah, basically, um, if you're smarter, then you have to put this headset on that, like, every time you're having a, a, a more profound thought, it blasts a noise in your ears to stop you from being too smart. Or if you're, like, <laughs> a good dancer, or, like, if you're stronger, you have to carry weights around with you so it doesn't become an advantage. Mm-hmm. And so they basically equalize everybody by giving them handicaps, is what they call them. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, I don't know. It's just a really, really good read. It's a good reminder of what happens when you pursue um, an outcome or like something like a quality of outcome as opposed mm-hmm. to like a quality of opportunity. Yeah. Because, you know, a quality of outcome, I mean, that doesn't happen. I mean, it's just, I mean, just read Harrison Bergeron. I mean, that's I mean, that's just one of many books that give you insight into this. But it's just a really frightening prospect mm-hmm. to try to equalize outcomes. And it's you know how do you how do you get there? Because people just mm-hmm. aren't uh, like they're they're equal under you know whatever equal under the eyes of God. But mm-hmm. in terms of ability levels and just other aspects, they're certainly not equal. Like you're just, mm-hmm. you just you just have four inches on me. I don't, that doesn't make us equal in height competition. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right, right, exactly. Yeah, I mean, um, I think what's cool about dystopian books is that I think it's cool to they, they take an idea, like a small idea, where people are are saying, okay, well, what if you know, what if we really want a quality of outcome? They're like, oh, that's not a bad idea. And then what's cool is this dystopian books go, okay. Let's take that. Let's take that down the road. Let's explore that idea. Let's take that to the extreme, just to see what could happen. And I think that's what's cool about dystopian books is that this kind of stuff doesn't really happen. But it's it's cool to say, listen, we took. If you start having these thoughts, just go down this road. We build this imaginary road so that you understand where this could go, or so you're aware of it. That's what I like about dystopian books. They, they just explore that idea so it doesn't happen. Reno, you're slowly starting to understand why fiction is valuable. I know. I'm 30 pages into my first fiction. <laughs> I know. You're just – you're a hater, but you're starting to understand. Uh, See what fiction can do that 
you couldn't do you couldn't tell the people with uh just facts yeah i know it's uh it's becoming apparent the use of it so i'm with it man i'm checking it out still exploring it still still checking it out i'm not gonna i'll try not to just immediately jump boats every second <laughs> but uh but yeah no it's it's a really good read so far and after that i want to reread lord of the flies because we watched the or not reread read it for the first time because we kind of read some of it in high school and then watched the movie but i really feel like they didn't communicate the meaning of the book you know like i feel like there was a lot more to it than my high school teacher like geography teacher didn't really get into because for some reason your geography he, teacher was teaching more of the flies Dude, they they literally they're like, yeah, they land on an island, and I was like, wow, you guys. Really oh my! God. Yeah, man, they really <laughs> missed. Where did you go to school? Dude, I'm North North Bend, baby. Shout out, shout out to North Bend, Oregon, man. Yeah, man. No, it was. I mean, there were some. There were certain classes that were good. You know, like I, the, you know, this wasn't an example of all the classes, but this is one example of how of like, yeah, I feel like you guys really miss the mark here. <laughs> yeah, but, that's, uh, uh, that's pretty good uh, yeah i've uh we read that in middle school or whatever i don't remember much of it yet except for the island and they form a government or whatever and then the, mm-hmm. then there there's the pig's head thing mm-hmm. i don't know it feels like somebody dies or something maybe not i can't really remember i think someone dies or they get close to it or something because all the kids so yeah, yeah it's sorry, kind of cool readers out there. Spoiler alert! <laughs> yeah, there may or may not be death in Lord of the Flies. Yeah, <laughs> yeah dude. But uh, I want to check that out. Um, but dude, I actually got I actually got another good one for you. I had a cool conversation with my mom last night, and I told her about the podcast. I was nervous about it, but I'm getting less nervous to tell people about it. Oh, nice! The better the better we do, and the better these conversations are, and and better about operating it. So, so I talked to her last night about, about leadership and about leadership at work. And uh, I feel like, and, and this is something that could happen to me. I feel like as people go up the totem pole, as they get higher, higher in leadership positions, I feel like they don't realize the change that they need to make fundamentally. And I think the fundamental change is when you're a worker uh, you are, you're just getting stuff done. So if you quit, it's like a forest. If you are the frontline worker, you're the salesman, you're the accountant, whatever it is, you're chopping down these trees. You're just, you're chopping down. That's what you're doing. You chop, 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 chop. And then the manager is helping you guys chop down trees as fast as possible. And he's helping people who are bad at it, supporting people who are good at it, making everyone a really good tree chopper. And they're just blasting away. And the manager, but the manager, he's, he's, that's, 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 that's it. That's what they're doing. What you need at the next level, in my mind, and this is where I feel like people don't make the jump, is they, you need to become a visionary in that you need, to, you need to say, guys, we're cutting down the wrong forest. We need to be going over there. Because if you're all just down deep in these action items, you don't have anyone who can zoom out and go, hey, you know what? We actually need to think differently about how we're doing things around here. And so I was talking to her and it feels that way sometimes with leadership where they will give us an action item. They'll say, oh, you know, um, do this, 
we think it'll be good for we think it'll be good for business. We think it'll be good for this. And they're all really intelligent, really driven people. Um, and so I'll want you know, and so I want to trust them and, and go along with action items. But something feels off about that because if anything, I feel like the leadership should be doing is saying, hey, we're thinking differently about how we are approaching the market and, and how we're selling to these customers and how we're supporting them. We want to think differently about this. And I want to go this way. I want to start this market and then turn to us with the front lines doing the actual work and say, what do you guys think about that? How do we get there? And when you have that conversation with the frontline workers, then you start to realize the pitfalls and you start to realize the better way of doing things because sometimes you get disconnected. And so you start to realize that and they say, okay, well, you need to fly over the forest. You need to dig a tunnel under the forest and we need to get you saws and started axes and you start to understand, oh, okay, now I understand how we get there. And then when you go to execute the plan, now everybody's on board because it was their idea. And I feel like that doesn't happen enough where people, where leaders can sometimes say, oh, I have this new plan, but no one's doing it. No one's executing on this. It's like, well, they just, I need to hold them accountable. I need to get, I need to make sure that my, our managers are tracking them, making sure they're doing this thing. It's like, if your employees are not doing the thing you want them to do, that's because it's not valuable. It's or not. They but, don't understand why it's valuable. Right. Or they don't understand why it's valuable. If they're working around it, then it's some sort of obstacle to them. You got they they it, something that's valuable is something that people want and they ask for, and sometimes you got to show it to them. Like if you know, it's like with Ford, he had to he had to like listen. You guys all wanted a faster horse. I made a freaking car. You were doing it wrong. Now you're going to be doing it right. Sometimes that's the case, but you can't introduce things in a vacuum. You have, it, it, should ne- it should be the case that when a new idea or action comes forward, that everybody else is, it's not a surprise. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, I think, uh, I think there's definitely something to be said about how you lead change. I don't know if I'm necessarily on board for always getting the opinions of frontline workers. You know, uh, for example, the CEO of Starbucks isn't going to ask his baristas if he thinks this, if this new location is a good spot to open a new Starbucks or if this new drink is a good idea to serve. Actually, actually the drink one he might. Um, you know, he just kind of you might get cons- you, you you in that situation you, know, you might be more consumer oriented on how you try to shift your changes i think that i think the consumer oriented changes happen more often i would guess i'm not entirely sure but there's definitely something to be said about making sure because hmm. i think people are on board even if people didn't have input on the change there's a lot of jobs that Okay, let me rephrase that. I think it depends on how seriously people are taking their career or job they have. Because there's a lot of jobs, I think, where if you're a frontline worker, like you say a barista or something, where um, you know maybe it's a summer job, maybe you've been doing it for a while. 
that you're just as long as the changes don't shake your whole world they're kind of like sure whatever i'll go along with it it's not you know i'm you just you have no desire to be part of the bigger picture you know you just want to serve good coffee and so you're just like yeah whatever as long as i'm down for whatever changes as, as long as they're not that big of a deal so i don't know if you always need opinions from frontline workers i definitely agree that you or, um that you uh, need you do need somebody that's looking at the bigger picture and i guess you would need you would want to continually check in with your frontline workers i don't know if you necessarily need to check in with them with every new thing you implement before you implement it but you need to be getting their feedback at least after you implement it and then incorporating it and making sure that they're they feel listened to but I don't know if they are going to be. I just, I just think there's a lot of situations where the frontline workers just getting their new ideas, especially if there's a vast amount of them. It's mm-hmm. just like it's just it can be, it can be cumbersome and not entirely useful. I think it can be cumbersome if you're trying to talk to every single frontline worker. That 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 would be too much. See. What I think, though, is that you need you need to you need to be proactive about what they think and what their feedback is, because I think you and I think you should be building these ideas with them, because the whole point of a leader is that you are able to zoom out. You're not too invested in the problem. You can zoom out and be able to see what's going on and make make the decision but you lack the knowledge where you're serving coffee every day. You, you don't know what it's like for them all. So you're, you want to implement this idea. All right, dude, you gotta, you gotta put a hold on that water thing. I hate that. Why does it pick up everything? It's so annoying. I'm like so gently touching the water. Mm-hmm. All right. Then I'm going to I'm gonna have to make, I'm, we're going to have to cut this call probably in like five minutes. Cause I just, I got to leave here in 20. So, Okay, sounds good. Sorry about yeah. that, but I know you're no all cleaned up. Yeah, dude. Let's, uh, yeah, we'll wrap it up in about five minutes here. Um, but yeah, yeah, I know you got to get to work. Um, but I was, what I was thinking was, I, I think you want to, before you roll things out, you want to, I think you need to start with trust with, these, with, with your employees. You need to start with the idea, the assumption that they, that they want their job, they want to do a good job, and they want to improve their job. They want to reduce. They want. They want to reduce menial tasks that they hate doing, and they want to be creative. And they want to do these. And they and they want to do a good job. I think you got to start with that assumption, and then talk to them and say, "Hey, I'm thinking about this idea. Here's the issue. We're in the wrong forest, and we need to go to that one. And here's why. Here's what I've. Here's what I'm seeing." What do you think about that? Just see and get their get their opinion. Figure out okay. And and see, just check check if your opinion is the right one. Just you need to you got to check it with people because you can't operate in a vacuum. Say okay, so it sounds like when you go to the forest, how do we get there? Because you guys are the ones chopping down the trees, and I need to know what's going to happen. Because what you don't want is you don't want to roll something out as a leader, and then there's all these things you didn't check. That's all these process changes you didn't check with your people who are doing the process and now it's, it's taking longer. Now it's a more difficult process for them. 
because you didn't check with them. And you don't have to check with everybody. It's not it's certainly what I, not what I mean. If you have a company of, it just depends how big it is, but if you have a company of 15,000 15, people, 1,500 people, it's like you can't, you can't go and talk to every single one of them. But you can talk to some of them. You can talk to the really driven ones, the people who are making lots and lots of changes. The people who are really driven about their job and the business say, okay, here's what I'm thinking. And I think it's important to stay in touch with those people because they're else you just, you, you just, you just sort of out of touch with what it's like. Yeah, there's definitely something to uh, making sure you're aware of second or th- third order order effects. Um, I think the specific analogy used, used falls a little short in the sense that, you know, if you're just moving to a different forest, as long as it's the same type of forest, generally all the same processes are going to work. And um, what I think where you'd see more of what you're talking about is if you made a process change on how you were cutting down the trees, like say you're using axes and then you want to switch to saws. There might be some implications there if you're not spending time on the front lines figuring it out that you just don't think of. And so that's where I, um, I think getting the feedback of the workers on the ground is good. Um, because because uh, that really, I mean, that really is where it takes convincing is if you want a process change. I think if you just move everybody else, move everybody you want them to be on board but i don't know like there's just not there's and you and you want to just uh let everybody understand you know if you're moving but where i think that what where i would see what you're talking about more is in a process change and if you're not in tune with what's happening on the ground you're not going to make good process changes um, and understand, mm-hmm. you know, there's just, I mean, people just get their routines and a lot of, a lot of, a lot of companies, you know, they try to dial in protocol to the, just the highest degree that they can. And even still, remember I worked in manufacturing and we would try to, you know, there's one rule, make the parts every single, the same way, every single time. And, you'd go down there and you just, they'd have these sheet, these sheets that told them how to make the parts. And, you know, these were just ridiculously complex parts for uh, airplanes and things like that. And it'd make these really detailed sheets. Just, just the engineers would just describe me exactly how to move each part. But mm-hmm. then you'd go down there and every single worker would say, Oh yeah, on this sheet, this they they have this step and this step, but nobody follows that. This is what we do instead. Mm-hmm. You know, but it, and then the engineer would come down sometimes and say, "What are you doing? You're not doing this like you're supposed to." And the work, and then the worker would say, "No, the sheet's wrong. If we do it that way, you're going to get a bad part." And so, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, there is this dichotomy where you think you un- sometimes you think you understand better, but maybe you have more education or something like that, or you have more experience, but if you're not, if you're just not putting your, for my example, if you're not putting your hands to the part, you just don't really understand it. It's the same thing with anything. You know, it's, you can't, 
you can't read a bunch of books about so, uh, something like golf, for example. You know, you just can't just sit there and read a bunch of books about golf and how the mechanics of the swing work and then go teach it to somebody mm-hmm. or just learn it. There's just things that you have to just be there and you have to physically be doing to really know it and understand it. You just, and, mm-hmm. and that's a, that's a mistake I think people make a lot is, and I think this is, um, I think this goes along with what you're saying, but it's a, it's a mistake people make a lot where they watch something or see a video about how to do something and then they think they fully grasp it, but you just, you just don't until you put it in action. And mm-hmm. I think if you're making decisions as a leader and you haven't either one gotten a lot of feedback from the people that are putting things into action or, you know, or on the front lines or shown them that you do have that experience with them and really made them know that you understand what they're going through, then you're going to have a hard time for them to follow you because they're going to be like, Oh, you know, fuck Reno. He's just, he's just, he's just, he hasn't even been in, he hasn't even been to the front lines once. He has no idea what it looks like. He's never asked our opinion. And dude, this is such bullshit what we have to do. But even if I think, yeah, just going down there and humbling yourself and just saying, hey, just going down the work, like if you're like the CEO or whatever, just going down the frontline workers, hey, I want, you, I want to try this. I want to try what you're doing for a little bit. Can you show me how to do this? I mean, you just get, you just won that person's respect just so much. Mm-hmm. Just whatever you say to do now, they're going to be like, I'm down because I know you took the time to understand it. Mm-hmm. Big time. Yeah, I, I think that's somewhere we're both in agreement on there that I think that people could do more is that I think leadership needs to do. Not that they could do more, like that they, there is a requirement is you need to stay connected to the frontline workers. The people that you're trying to help, you have to ask them what their job is like and figure out the pain points and what's going on. You need to, under, you need to truly understand what's, what's happening like what they what they are doing, what they're going through before you roll out process changes or before you roll out big vision changes is you need to kind of get some perspective about what they're dealing with, what they're, what's going on, what are the pain points instead of just rolling out some grand plan because then people are on board. They're like, if they, and if they contribute to that plan, they are way more on board. So I don't think it's, I think, I think keeping in touch with your frontline workers is a requirement and not, not a bonus to leadership. I would, uh, leaders. I would, I would agree with that. Oh, also another thing that has bugged me a lot when I've just been the grunt of the job or whatever is uh, when you get taught procedures, when you first start your job and then you start the job and you realize nobody is following them mm-hmm. at all. Mm-hmm. And so, you're like, why did I just go through all this training, which didn't even, none of it is what we're doing. And then, mm-hmm. and then, then your boss will come in and say, we're implementing some new procedures. And it's like, cause none, this isn't working out. It's like, it's like, dude, how about you figure out how to get the procedures that are already in place followed before you just throw mm-hmm. more rules on there? Because what, what makes you think they'll do this new one and not the old one, especially yeah. if you keep because if you if you don't, because you know there's one thing to like to cutting and then changing, 
But if you just start adding new rules when the rules already aren't being followed, there's yeah, it's a ridiculous expectation that the new rule would be followed. Mm-hmm. Why would that rule be any different? Yeah, big time. And I, I think that's the point I'm trying to get at with with the, the, well, the, what I was thinking about, with the thought I'm testing. I'm trying to not be so I'm right about things, <laughs> but the thought I'm testing is that when you're a leader, I think the goal is you need to find what's valuable to these people. And what, and in my mind, value means if you introduce the idea to them and you let them test the thing, they will, and then you take it away, they would ask for it. I think that's a good sign of value. Is this something that people ask for? Is this something that they're like, we need that process. Like that thing you tested out, I need to have that. That's valuable. But when you implement, I think sometimes people implement the process, no one's using it. People are actively trying to avoid it. And then they go, well, why isn't anyone using it? I, I think you might be out of touch, man. I don't think it's valuable. And I think that's why they're not using it. Now, there are there certain cases where you just need to talk to everybody and go, listen, you're not going to like this new process at first. It's a huge change. Here are all the reasons I think this new process is going to be better. I need you to, I, do you understand? Do you understand why I'm doing it? Does this make sense? Ask for feedback and go, let's, we give it a shot. There are certain cases like that where people really aren't seeing the vision. But I think those are a lot less than when people make the mistake and they don't make something valuable and then shove it down people's throats. I think that's a more common scenario. And that's why I think, that's why I think leaders need that perspective is to make sure what they're doing is valuable. Like you said, the process changes. Yeah, I think on the point you just said about making changes and then shoving it down people's throats, I think it's one of the phenomena that happens in politics as well as you know middle management is you get mm-hmm. put into a new position or are trying to get – okay, so I guess it's two different ways, but in politics – you know, you're running to get, uh, so, okay, maybe you're just really trying hard to get reelected. So you start just making policies to just, you start implementing policies or creating policies, not necessarily because you think they're good, but just so you can win the popular vote, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and one issue with that is all these policies that get created as a result of, trying to win the vote is they don't mm-hmm. go away. So if you're creating new government mm-hmm. programs that were never really that well thought to begin with, mm-hmm. it's really difficult to scale them back. And so then mm-hmm. they just start money sucks mm-hmm. or in, in the corporate world. Uh, it's, you, know, you, you, you get to middle management and your team's doing really well, but you're just not a capable middle manager or like, you know, you're just, you just, you just feel like, oh, I need to be doing something. I need to be doing mm-hmm. something. And so then you just sort of arbitrarily start making new rules mm-hmm. and restrictions on your team when it's, when it's, it's, why are you, why are you making these new rules to address things that your team isn't having problems with? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so they just go, oh, I can't, if I don't make a rule, I'm not doing anything with my job. And it's like, well, that's, you know, man, maybe you just need to be there to monitor. Maybe that's better. And, uh, or put, set, set your sights ahead instead of trying to figure out if your team's really solid, give them more resource, like build, build them up. But if they're already doing solid, you know, just give them, 
start loading them up with autonomy and, and, uh, you know, kind of turn into, it would be in my mind, if you, if I was a manager and had an outstanding team, um, that was just killing it. I would take the mm-hmm. servant role and just say, Hey, mm-hmm. let's see how far we can take this. I want you guys, anything that you guys are overwhelmed with, boom, send it on my desk and I'll start grinding it out for you. Mm-hmm. And then it's, um, you know, you're still in touch with your whole team and you can, and then, then from that perspective, now you're way in touch with your team and you know everything that they're doing and you can keep track of all the, uh, and, uh, you, you'll like be aware of problems well before they arise because you're helping everybody with their work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And you'll, then you'll, at that point, you'd really understand what was going on because you're, you're really, really in it. They're giving you all their crap work and they're saying, I'm struggling with this. And, you, and then you get an even better idea. You're like, oh, I'm seeing everyone struggling with this thing. This one thing everyone's struggling with. And you go, you know what? I'm going to talk to some other teams. I'm going to figure out. I'm going to start brainstorming. How do we solve this? How do we yeah. get rid of this struggle? And then now you're, then it's, that's sort of a growth mindset instead of feeling like, oh, shoot, I got I to gotta do something to this machine. It's like, no, nah, let it click. <laughs> it's clicking. Yeah, and a lot of times you can catch problems before they even get there. If you have more experience and you're, but you're helping everybody, your team every day, mm-hmm. um, they they might just not have the wherewithal to see when a problem's about to arise, and uh, mm-hmm. you know you can catch it. And that's not micromanaging. It's just you know you're letting them be as autonomous as they want to be, and, and just giving you the work, and you make sure that. You try to show them that you're not above any task, which is a really thing, thing, good thing to stress, mm-hmm. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, Reno, I, uh, I do uh, – I'll let you get gotta go. the last thought here, but I got to I gotta get going for the day. Got a big day today. Oh, yeah. Uh, do you want to give a little 30-second outro, which you're getting done today, the goal? Yeah, so uh, my goal is, is I'm going to have a – when I get done with – work today i'm going to be very tired because i probably will not be able to leave the job site till 4 4 30 and i want to not take a nap and be in bed at 8 30 i want to i want to uh get a good night's sleep tonight without um yeah, I want to get I want to get a good night's sleep tonight, and I don't want to mess that up by coming home and just falling asleep right when I get home. So, in order to combat that, I'm going to go over to some family's house for dinner, I think, and nice. go up there and get a workout in as well. Heck yeah, dude! That sounds like a great time. All right, man. Wait, we need yours. Oh, we don't mind. Okay, cool. Uh, goal today. So I I stayed up late last night. Uh, working on a whole lot of administrative stuff, a lot of action items, building quotes, a lot of uh, just a lot of stuff that I really had to get done. And so I stayed up uh, pretty late. And today the goal, since all that stuff's taken care of, is stay on top of it for the morning. And then the afternoon, I'm going to really focus on understanding uh, what my customers are going through right now and then creating some custom presentations and some questions for them. So I can figure out how to help them best for uh, the second half of the year and then, um, and then and start booking some meetings with them. So that's the goal. Outstanding. All right. Heck yeah. Reno, you have a great day. You too, dude. All right. Kill it. Bye. You too.